You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Talk Recorded live.
Let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, Creator of heaven and earth, our Lord, our Savior, our King, and our God, our hope, our high tire, our refuge, our buckler, our everything. Praise your holy name. Praise you and worship you on this seventh day, on this second day of unleavened bread. Thank you for the confirmations of your word, of the truth about sunrise to sunrise, about Jesus that you kept the Passover on the 14th of the month as instructed by Scripture, that you died on the next day on the 15th, the first day of unleavened bread. Thank you for the confirmation of these teachings. Even though many people have rejected this truth, both of these truths. Now, years later, another confirmation, powerful and firm, solid. We praise and worship you, Father. And if we have any false doctrine at all, or false prophecy, or false understanding, or false interpretation, we pray, Father, that you please reveal it to us. Deliver us from deception. Let us not be deceived. Let us not fall to temptation. Please lead us this day, tonight, tomorrow, and forever without end. Help us to walk in your spirit and for your spirit to walk in us. Help us to be your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet, and your mouth upon this planet, Father. Let us be your spokesman. Help us, Father, to witness, to testify to others, and to always be able and willing to give an account for how and why we believe. Pray, Father, for your special blessing on this service and on the hearing and the receiving. As Father, you will be done in this, that you be blessed, that you be glorified, that the people be edified, that we come into all, all of us coming to unity of doctrine and of spirit and of mind. We become the body of Christ. Praise your name, Father. In Jesus' name, all of this, according to your will. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Praise God. We'll be turning to Isaiah 58, verse 1. Isaiah 58. Well, I hope everybody's having a good Sabbath today. I hope that your morning has been well rested. I hope that you've had time in prayer. I hope that it's a good day for you and that it will only get even better. Amen. Praise God. For the record, today's date is April the 23rd, 2016 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in God's created calendar is the 16th day of the first month. The 16th day of the first month. And that means it's the second day of unleavened bread. And today is the seventh day of the week. Today's topic is tell my people their sins. Tell my people their sins. 
It's not a very popular topic. People don't want to hear this. People don't want to hear what their sins are. And really, it should not be necessary. We ought to know what our sins are ourselves. We should be able, each and every one of us, should be able and willing to examine ourselves and confess our sins without somebody having to tell us what our sins are. That's true. And some people have no problem doing that, examining themselves. And all of us need to increase being able to do that, to examine ourselves and to confess our sins. We cannot and will not be forgiven of our sins unless we confess our sins. The Bible is clear on that. We must confess our sins. There are some people, however, that have a huge problem coming to realize what their sins are. Many, many people have this problem. I've seen it over and over. That some people have a a great difficulty in acknowledging their fault, their guilt, their sin. And because of that, It is needful that the pastors, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, ministers of God, and especially in the administrations and offices that he has appointed, to actually tell people their sins. That's a very unpleasant thing for both sides, for both the minister and the lay member, or the lay member and the pastor. It works both ways. Or from friend to friend, brother to brother, sister to sister, family member to family member, so forth. It's difficult for both sides. It's not a pleasant thing. But if a person cannot see their own sins, it is sometimes, sometimes, necessary, needful, that their sins be pointed out to them for their sake, for their salvation, for their help, out of love, not out of a judgmental spirit, not out of an over-condemning spirit, but out of love to help that person. It is needful. And in this verse, in Isaiah 58, one verse 1, Isaiah 58, verse 1, It says, cry loudly. Do not hold back. Raise your trump voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Amen. God is instructing. That when it is needful, when the people are in sin, when the people are rebellious, stiff-necked, proudful, and refuse to confess their sins and refuse to repent, someone must speak up. Someone's got to blow the trumpet. Somebody's got to do the unpleasant business of meddling in your business. Because the 
ministers are appointed responsibility to your soul. They are. The ministers are appointed responsibility for your soul. The ministers are shepherds watching after the flock. Shepherds, leaders. Leaders are meant to not only bless, increase, and edify, but also to correct, to extort, even to rebuke at times. It comes with the job. It's not always a pleasant job. It's not always a happy job. It's not always a feel-good job. But you've got to take the bad with the good. The package deal. Here, God tells the ministers, the leaders, the shepherds, to cry loudly. Do not hold back. Many times we want to hold back. Sometimes we should. Sometimes we should be really long-suffering. This is not a blanket statement that every time you see somebody commit a sin, you've got to point it out to them. So don't distort it to be that. It is possible, and some people have this problem, of being over-judgmental, over-condemning. And we know that is wrong as well. It's not everybody's responsibility to point out every sin that you know of. Many times, in fact, probably a larger percentage of the time, we ought to keep our mouth shut, even the ministers, as far as speaking directly to that person what their sin is. Again, some of us have no problem knowing what our sins are, even if we're still in that sin, even if we're not completely repentant of it, we know that we're sinning, and we don't have to have somebody pointing it out to us unless it's needful for them to point it out to us in order to help us repent. So it varies from person to person, day to day, situation to situation, sin to sin. It varies greatly. And we all need to become mature enough in the Lord to know when to do what, when to be patient, long-suffering, and when to proclaim their sin to them, to their faith. We all need to become mature enough to know when and the difference and why. And obedient enough to do either one. Obedient enough to be long-suffering and not say anything other than to be praying for them. Sometimes we might need to uh, just give them an article, a printout, a Bible verse without actually saying what their sin is. And other times, we need to be obedient enough to have a talk with them because we love them. Not because we're over-judgmental. Not because we're over-condemning. But because the Lord leads us to have a talk with them out of our love for them, out of his love for them. And one of these days when I feel the uh, free uh, liberty to do so from the Lord, I will be doing a sermon, maybe, hopefully, 
most likely, about warning you about being over-condemning and over-judgmental. Amen. That's definitely a needful sermon. People have problems with that. But our sermon today is not about being over-judgmental and over-condemning. Today, the sermon is about the need to talk with people about their sins. Some of these verses are more about the ministry doing that. Because it is more the minister's responsibility. And this is, again, where being over-judgmental and over-condemning steps in as because a lot of times people take upon themselves to do the pastor's work or the holy the work of the Holy Ghost, the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're, we need to just pray. Sometimes, most of the time, most of the time we need to just Pray. Just pray. Maybe give an article, a Bible verse or something, a book, whatever, to help that person, to lead that person in repentance or truth. And most of the time, really, it's the minister that should take care of it. The minister is the one with the greater responsibility to take care when there is a person in sin. And so a lot of times, people need to be just standing in prayer for people. And when necessary, the pastor should step in. And so a lot of times, we need to just let the pastor stay in his long-suffering, stay in his patience. We need to let the pastor Choose when is the right time. Let the pastor take care of it in the right time. And be patient with the pastor as he follows the direction of the Holy Spirit about how long to wait, how patient to be, how long-suffering to be. As a congregation, we all, all congregations, all of the body of Christ, need to submit themselves to the pastors, the ministers, because most of the time they're, except for in Babylon, of course, but in the true church, they're, they're more mature in the Lord. And they have a, a stronger relationship with God. And they're hearing from God more so than the lay members many times in the true church. We need to let the pastors do their job. But then, of course, there are times when we, as lay members, as brothers and sisters, do need to handle the situation ourselves, sometimes. And But before you ever do that, you've got to make for sure. You've got to make for sure that it's the Holy Spirit leading you in that and not being over-condemning, over-judgmental, or not long-suffering. Got to make for sure that it's the Holy Spirit leading you to do that. That you're doing it in righteousness and love. That you're doing it because it really needs to be done. That you're doing it in the truth rather than in false doctrine. Don't correct somebody about something when they're not really wrong. If you're wrong about a doctrine, you try to correct that person, 
Well, that's wrong. You've got to make sure your doctrine's right before you try to correct somebody. That's a major problem in the church as well. So, now, let's continue with this now. Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Now, if you're blowing a trumpet, that's a public decoration. A lot of people have a, a, a huge problem with making a person's sin known publicly. Or by, and a lot of people have a problem with naming names in public or talking about a certain situation that has happened with the whole congregation or with the church. But we're going to look at some scriptures that show a public rebuke, a public naming of names, a public stating of people's sins, or a face-to-face statement of people's sins. Because Babylon has taught us that we shouldn't point out sin, that you should never judge anyone regardless of anything. Babylon has taught us wrongfully that we should never, ever make a judgment. Ever. Well, that's foolishness. Amen. This is raise your voice, meaning do something. Take action. Verbally proclaim like a trumpet and declare to my people even those people who are saved, even those people that are in the church, even those people who you love, even those people who uh, you have a relationship with, even those people who think that they are saved, even those people who are your brothers and your sisters, to my people, their transgression, and to the house of Jacob, their sins. Because let's face it, the church needs to get saved. Amen. Look at chapter 62. Chapter 62, verse 6. Isaiah 62, verse 6. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they would never keep silent. The ministers are watchmen on a wall. It is their duty, it's their responsibility to keep a lookout for the sheep, to keep a lookout concerning danger, false doctrine, woods, sin in the camp. It is their duty day and night, and they will not keep silent. There is a time to wolf in our mouth. There is a time to blow the trumpet. There is a time to make the statement that there is sin in the camp, danger, a wolf, a hireling, a false prophet, so forth. There is a time to proclaim these things. And so many times, it's not time to keep silent sometimes. Who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourself. Now these people here are not only blowing a trumpet, where they're talking to God about the situation. They're staying in prayer. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest 
until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. In other words, because that the watchmen on the wall see that there's a problem, that not only do they voice it and sound the alarm, but they take it to the Lord constantly, repeatedly, giving the Lord no rest until the Lord anxious to plead in the petition of our prayers and fastings. If we are going to judge someone, if we are going to blow the trumpet, if we are going to declare a person's sins, we ought to take it to the Lord first and even afterward. We have to take it to the Lord and keep taking it to the Lord that their repentance will come that that person will confess their sins. Lord, I'm approaching this person about their sin in hope that they will realize that they have come to comprehend their sin, their transgression, confess it to you, and confess it to me, because the Bible says confess one another. Confess to one another your sins. And by confessing to one another, we can pray for one another more effectively, help one another, be there at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning to answer the phone or the text message or the door when the person is tempted or in need. We've got to be a family. We've got to become a family. Amen. And if we're so proudful that we won't confess our sins to one another, then we're not going to grow to be as close to one another as we need to be in this day and time that we're living in and about to enter into. In the great tribulation, we're going to need to be extremely close. We're going to need to be close companions, brothers and sisters in the tribulation. So we've got to draw close to one another. We're going to need one another. Amen. And by confessing our sins to one another, We're going to draw close, cry together, laugh together, suffer together, praise together, worship together, bless the Lord together. Amen. When one of us suffers, we all suffer. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. Let's become one body. Let's become one body. Amen. We need to socialize. We need fellowship. We need to be calling, texting, writing. We need to be hiking together, eating together, fellowshipping together, worshiping together. Amen. It is needful as much as we can do in this day and in this hour. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Mark 6, verse 17. Mark 6, verse 17. For Herod himself 
had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Harlius, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to her, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. This time about John the Baptizer publicly proclaiming to the king, you're in sin, and this is your specific sin. John the Baptizer, cousin of Jesus Christ, who prepared the way for the coming of the Lord, who baptized people, who witnessed of Jesus, a great man of God, a prophet, he blew the trumpet. He blew the trumpet and he told people their sin. And in his case, it was a situation of telling a lost person, a lost person their sin. Some people say you only judge only within the church. That is not biblical. I know it sounds like it's biblical when you read only certain verses that we've got to read the whole Bible, every chapter, every book, and balance it out and get the full picture and the sum of his word. If you add two things together, if you add two verses, two chapters, not just two verses, but if you add all verses and all chapters and all books of the Bible together and come and get the equation, the sum of his word, that's what we've got to do with all doctrine and prophecy. Therefore, the sum of his word, including this verse, says to proclaim the sins of people even who are sinners, who are even outside the body of Christ. Because who needs it most? Repentance. Who needs it most? Amen. As those people who are lost, who are not yet saved. They need to be told about the lake of fire. They need to be told about the seventh day. They need to be told about Christmas and Easter. They need to be told what to do, what not to do, even more than the church. Amen. These are the people, the lost people, who do not yet know about their sins. And if we love them, we need to be blowing a trumpet and say, Watch out, be careful. You're headed for the cliff. And if we don't say it, then how can we say that we love them? If we're willing to watch them fall off the cliff without giving at least one warning. At least one. Amen. And I know that we'll be accused of being judgmental. Amen. But it's still our responsibility. Amen. It's still our responsibility. We love people to warn them, to try to educate them, to try to inform them, to try to open their eyes. But it's ultimately we know, ultimately it's going to be between them and God. But thing that we need to try to help them if we can. 
Look at James chapter 5. James 5. Over there right after Hebrews. James chapter 5. Verse 20. James 5 verse 20. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. How can we turn one back if we're not saying anything? Amen. How can we? Doesn't it take making a at least a certain measure of judgment, a righteous judgment, a right judgment, a true judgment? Doesn't it take making some kind of a judgment? Before we can help somebody, you've got to make that judgment that says that person has done wrong, that person has sinned, that person needs help, I need to help them. All of this in prayer and under guidance of the Holy Spirit. You have to make judgment every day, every day. If you never judge anything, then you live foolishly. Amen. Look at chapter 1, James 1, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brother, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Many times we need to be slow to speak. Many times we need to be slow about pointing out sin. We got to take it to the Lord first. We got to make sure our doctrine's right. We got to make sure our facts are straight. We got to make sure that it is something that needs to be talked about, brought up. We got to make sure it's something that does need to be brought up, that we're not judging in immaturity that we're not judging without the facts, without the truth, that we're not judging with a false doctrine, that we're not being over-condemning and over-judgmental. We've got to be slow to speak, slow to anger, but we also must be quick to hear that if a person does come to us presenting to us what our sins are, that we don't be quick to speak back, that we don't be quick to anger or quick to rebuke when that person does bring up our sin to us. We got to be slow to speak. When that person does bring up our sin to us, we shouldn't lash out against them. But rather, we should be like, this person sees or they think they see a need. This person has come to me because they think they see a need for me, that I'm in need. 
of repentance. Is it real? Is it true? Is this correct? Maybe I need to examine myself. Maybe I need to think about this. Maybe I need to at least hear them out. Their reasoning. Is it accurate? I think a lot of times we need to ask these questions. Be slow to respond back. But typically, your your common reaction is immediate rebuke, immediate denial of our faults and guilt. It is carnal nature to be self-defensive. That's built into us to defend ourselves. That's nature to, to defend ourselves. And especially if we are innocent, then we have every right to defend ourselves and even to rebuke back if, if we are being wrongfully accused. If we're being accused of something that actually is not a sin or if we're not guilty of a sin, whatever, then we have every right to defend ourselves and to speak back. But, I have seen many, many cases where the sin, the guilt, and the fault was real and true. And the person did not confess, did not examine deep enough, long enough, and responded back in attack, demonic attack, satanic attack against the person who had brought the truth. That happens all the time. All the time. We need to be careful that we are not that person who is responding back in a demonic, satanic attack against the person who has brought the truth. That's a major problem. Major problem in the church. I've seen it over and over. It's one of the most common problems we have. The truth is wrong. And the guilty party responds back with a satanic attack against the person who has brought the truth. Very common, huge problem. And many times I will bring up names, situations, problems that we're having in the church. I do so to try to provoke people to repentance. And that's biblical. That's biblical. It's not pleasant. I don't like doing those things. Contrary to popular belief and common belief, I'm not really a tyrant. I'm not really a monster. I'm just doing the work of an apostle, of a prophet, of a pastor. This is my job, both good and bad. I want to see people come to the fullness of the truth, to full repentance, to full surrender to God, to full surrender to Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit. I want to see people grow in maturity 
in righteousness and truth and in the will of the Father. I really do. I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to do anyone wrong. But if God directs me to make a correction, I must do so. Or else I will be guilty. I will be guilty of not doing what I'm supposed to do. I will be guilty of not fulfilling my job, my duties, and my responsibilities. I will be guilty of not giving correction to my own family, my own congregation that God has given me. I don't want to be found guilty like Eli, who would not correct his own sons. I have to correct my own family, my own friends, my own congregation that God's given me. I have to. Well, I've got a choice, all right. I've got a choice. Obey or not obey. Hold back always or, or speak the truth. I choose to be a pleaser of God and not of man. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. One Corinthians five verse one. Paul says, and we, we've read this over and over and over, it is actually reported that there is immorality, one Corinthians five verse one. There is it's reported. Somebody told because they needed to. They brought it to the attention of the apostle. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles that so have his father's wife. This is similar to the John the Baptist situation. And you have become arrogant, have not mourned instead. They've not taken it really in prayer. They've not cried out about it. They've not continually brought the petition to the Father. They have not addressed the issue of the person so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. The people have not judged. The people have not properly condemned. The people have not properly uh, brought the matter to the person's attention. They have not properly disciplined. They have not properly corrected. But rather, just let it be like Babylon wants us to do. So, Paul brought it to the attention, to the forefront. Amen. And even proclaimed specifically 
what the sin was and took care of the matter and that. Look at John chapter 7. John 7. Verse 24. This is a verse that is never read in the churches of Babylon because they go only by Matthew 7 verse 1 that says, Thou shalt not judge. And then they leave out all the other verses about the judging. John 7 verse 24, do not judge, I mean, yeah, do not judge according according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. That's not a blanket statement against all judgment. In fact, even Matthew 7, verse 1, if you read the whole chapter, is not a blanket statement against all judgment. There is no verse in the Bible that's a blanket statement against all judgment. We have to keep everything in context. Read the entire chapters. We are to judge with righteous judgment, it says. Not by appearance means not just by what you think. That's what that means. Because sometimes we are to judge by appearance. If somebody's got 666 tattooed in their forehead, well, then we have every right in the world to make a righteous judgment by appearance. But what this is talking about is don't judge by appearance, meaning don't judge just by what you think, wrongfully think. That's what it's really meaning. Don't judge wrongfully by appearance. Sometimes we can judge by appearance righteously. But what John or Jesus was saying is don't do this wrongfully. Judge right. Make a righteous judgment. Isn't that what he's really saying? Don't judge wrongfully, but make a righteous judgment, a true one, a correct one. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 6. One Corinthians 14 verse 6 says but now brother if I come to you speaking in tongues what will it profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching yet even lifeless things, even flute or harp, introducing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle, or King James says trumpet, produce an indistinct sound, or King James says an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by tongue speech, that is clear how it will be known what is spoken. In other words, Paul here 
is saying that there was a problem in the Corinthian church where they're speaking in tongues too much and that it was not all correct tongues. A lot of it was gibberish, fake tongues. And it's better for plain speech. It's better to say it the way it is and, and in clearness and without an uncertain tone, but plain speech is better than all this gibberish, better than all this speaking in tongues, even if it's real tongues. It's better to have plain speech. And what was Paul doing when he's talking about this? Is he not telling the church their sin? Is he not telling it, correcting the church? Is he not correcting the church? Hey, y'all doing this wrong? Y'all speaking gibberish? You're speaking lies? You think you're doing something right and you're doing wrong? You're putting too much emphasis on one gift but not on any of the other gifts? So forth and so forth. He is correcting the church. And he's not giving an uncertain sound about it. He's saying it the way it is. And didn't Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jesus, John the Baptizer, Paul, and others, didn't they just say it the way it is? I always admired my, my grandmother that she said things the way it was. She just said it straight out the way it was. I've always admired people. Mr. Cox, that was a great friend of mine when he was alive. He just said it the way it was. And I always admired that. That's what we need these days. We need more of that, not less of it. We need more of that. Sometimes we just got to say it the way it is. Correction is needful. Amen. Correction is needful. Look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 15. Now, this I've talked about a couple times before. This is not very popular. It's hard for people to believe in accept because it's totally contrary to what we've been taught in Babylon. But it's totally scriptural, what I'm about to say. Matthew uh, 18, verse 15. If your brother sins... Go and show him his fault. Now, of course, this is not always. Again, we need to give people time to examine themselves. I mean, you don't just jump the gun and point out people's sins to them immediately. Most of the time. Of course, there's time for that too. But most of the time, at least give the person time to realize what they've done. <clears throat> and give them a chance to repent of their own accord. But there are times that when your brother sins, that you are to go and show him his fault. Amen. In private, now there's time for public rebuke as well. But most of the time, it should be done in private. Amen. 
And if he listens to you, and it says, if he listens to you, and meaning if he hears you out, if he forbears you, if he's willing to examine himself, if he heeds your correction, if he does confess his fault, if he does repent of that fault, you have won your brother. You have won your brother. That is a direct connection to what we read in James 5. Amen. Direct connection. James 5, verse 19. 18, but if he does not listen to you, which happens more often, if he does not listen to you, if he does not repent, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Amen. Two or three witnesses. So it's not just your own word. It's not just your own opinion. It's not just your own belief. It's not just your own doctrine. But it's real. It's true. So you're coming together as a very small group in private to address the issue that the person refused to repent of. Verse 17. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Amen. That means tell it to the pastor, the ministers, the administrators, and perhaps even that the pastor will bring it to the whole congregation. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector who were the people who were shunned by the Jewish people. Shun that person. Disfellowship that person. Have nothing to do with that person. Don't eat with that person. Don't go to that person's house. Don't let them in your house. Disfellowship. Amen. Now, they took every step necessary. Of course, they're in prayer the whole time. Amen? They're in prayer the whole time about this matter, praying that they will repent. Amen? Perhaps even fasting that the person will repent. They took every step necessary. The person still refuses to admit their guilt. Verse 18, Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What is it talking about? The context is remitting or attaining that person's sin. <clears throat> the context is that if that person will repent, you are, in effect, Delivering that person from their sin through the power of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit using you, 
you have pulled that person back out of the fire. Amen. But if not, if that person refuses to repent, you have cast that person out of the church. You've made a judgment. Either way, you've made a judgment. You've made a judgment to forgive that person or to not forgive that person. Is that not true? How can you say you've forgiven that person if you just disfellowshipped that person and cast them out of the church and told them, don't come to my house. Don't come to my church. Do not call me. Do not email me. You are shunned. You are disfellowshipped. How can you say you've forgiven that person? We have bound that person's forgiveness, both in heaven and on earth. And that is appropriate and the right thing to do when the person has remained in their sin. Babylon has taught us that you should forgive every person regardless of the situation. No exceptions. And that is simply a lie of the devil. It is a false doctrine and it is not biblical. Yes, there are many verses about forgiveness and that we need to be forgiving people and that if we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven ourselves. It says that. I understand that. I'm familiar with that. But we've got to take the sum of his word. We've got to take every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible. And if we take all the scriptures that there is a time for forgiveness and there's a time to not forgive. There's a time to embrace and a time to cast away. Amen. There's a time for everything under the sun, a time for war, a time for peace. Amen. And the Bible is clear that we are to forgive the way Jesus forgives. How does he forgive? He does not forgive unless you confess and repent. Plain and simple. If you do not confess and repent, Jesus does not forgive you, him, or her, or anybody unless they confess and repent. Do we, do we forgive more than God does? Do we forgive more than Jesus does? No. We do not and cannot. And we lie and deceive ourselves if we think we do. Many, many, many people say they have forgiven when they have not. Amen. And we do not have to forgive in every situation without exception. That is not biblical. Even God does not do that. Even Jesus does not do that and should not do that. But now don't get me wrong. We should be a forgiven people. That's clear in Scripture as well. Amen. We should be a forgiving people, meaning that if we bring somebody's 
uh, fault to their attention and they repent, absolutely forgive them. Give them a chance to repent. Give them an opportunity. Look, this is what you did wrong. I hope you repent. I'm praying that you do repent. I want you to repent. I want us to stay together. I want us to stay our congregation. I want us to stay brothers and sisters. I want us to stay family. I want us to stay friends. I want you to repent. I want to forgive you. I'm willing to forgive you if you repent. If you repent. Look here in Luke, the book of Luke. Chapter 17, verse 3. Luke 17, verse 3. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Look at those words, if. Circle. Circle verse 3, the word if, and then the next if, and then verse 4, if. Amen? This is not a blanket statement to forgive everybody, every situation, regardless of anything. We've got to get our doctrine straight. We've got to get our doctrine corrected. We've got to get our doctrine to be truthful and real and accurate. That's a needful thing. We've got to come out of Babylonian thinking. Again, we don't need to be over-judgmental, over-condemning people. We don't need to harbor bitterness. That's different. We've got to give people a chance to repent. And if they repent, we must forgive. Amen. We've got to be a forgiving people. We've got to show mercy. We've got to show grace. Sometimes we even should do so, guess what, even if they've not repented. Sometimes. You can't take these verses and engrave them in stone for every, every situation. Situations vary. The word is a living word. Amen. And it should be written in our hearts. And this means that there's also a time that you need to just let bygones be bygones. You need to just let it go sometimes. And that means even a greater measure of forgiveness and mercy and grace. And that is needful sometimes. 
But we've got to do these things at the right time and according to, the, to God's will. According to his will. Amen. We've got to have the proper balance, the proper attitude in God's will in every situation. Look at 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. One Timothy five, verse seventeen. One Timothy five, verse seventeen. That others who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Now, that has a double meaning there. Amen. It's talking about two things. That the elders who rule well should be deeply and well respected. Double measure of respect. But if you look at the context, it is also saying that the elders who rule well, you should respect and give them tithes and offerings. That is the context. Absolutely. Money, tithes, offerings, alms, that is the context. And it says especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Not those who work hard in the coal mine. A pastor should not, actually should not have a job outside of the church. If he's the pastor of the church, he needs to be in that ministry 24-7. He has a full-time job, being the pastor. There's no verse in the Bible that teaches that a pastor must work outside of the church. People misinterpret, twist, and distort everything that Paul said on that issue. Paul never taught that a pastor must have a normal, regular job. Never taught that. Paul simply taught that the pastors are worthy of their hire, are able, they are able to eat of the gospel, be fed of the gospel, be taken care of of the gospel, of the tithes and offerings. But he chose personally to do some tent work, tent making and tent fixing work to provide for his own because he knew that he would be falsely accused. He knew that he would be falsely accused if he took any money from anybody. So he personally chose to do some work. But don't you know that he did take some money? Absolutely. Not in a wrong manner. Not in a thieving manner. Not in a selfish manner. And he even said 
that he reserved the right to do so. He even said that, that he reserved the right to receive the money of the church. You got to read the whole chapter. You got to read every chapter that he spoke anything about it instead of distorting it and twisting it like people do. Now here it says that these elders are working hard at what? At preaching and teaching. They deserve double honor, meaning they deserve both your money and your respect. That's exactly the context. Verse 18. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing the floor, and the laborer, who is the laborer he's talking about? The elders, the preachers. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Amen. Plain as day. How much more simple can you get? The church should be funding the ministry. Now, I'm not teaching this for anybody to send me money. That is not my heart, my intent, or my purpose. God knows that. I'm teaching the scripture as I come across the scripture, as I always do. Come across the scripture that needs to be taught, that needs to be explained, that needs to be understood. I explain it. That's the only thing I'm doing here. I come across the scripture, I teach it, and I explain it. Now look at verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against the elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. If you're going to try to correct or believe something about a preacher, an elder, a pastor, so forth, you've got to have your facts straight. You've got to have evidence. You've got to have two or three witnesses. Amen. Don't bring a false accusation. Don't bring a false doctrine. Don't bring a false judgment by a false appearance or a false, uh, false knowledge, so-called knowledge. <clears throat> bring the facts. Bring the truth. Verse 20, and those who continue in sin, which means that you have brought two or three witnesses. This goes back to what it said in Matthew 18, bringing two or three witnesses. Amen. That is going right back to Matthew 18, verse 15. Let me make some notes in my Bible here. 1 Timothy 5. That is incredible. So, what you have there then is not only with the lay members do you bring two or three witnesses, but even with the elders of the church, even with the pastors, 
of course, you uh, make sure you get your facts straight. And if necessary, bring your two or three witnesses. And if that pastor still continues in sin, rebuke him. Amen. Yes, you can rebuke a pastor. If he has, you have tried to correct him personally, in private, and you even then eventually brought two or three witnesses, and you talked it out, and you brought the facts, and you brought the evidence, and you brought the scriptures, and you brought the doctrine, and you've tried to correct that pastor. In other words, you don't just leave a church you don't just leave a church without trying to correct the pastor. Amen. You owe it at least to say, Pastor, here's what the scripture actually says. Uh, or, Pastor, uh, this and this, this and this has been brought to my attention. I know that you did thus and thus. This is what the scripture says about it. I hope you repent. I pray that you are going to repent. Give that pastor a chance to confess, a chance to examine himself, a chance to read about it, to think about it, to pray about it, to fast about it. Give him time. If he does not confess and repent, bring two or three. And then if they still don't repent, then leave the church and disfellowship from that pastor. This is the correct way of doing Amen. Of course, there's a time, again, it's not written in stone. There is also time to leave without even speaking to that man. There's a time for that. There's a time for that. There's a time when you shouldn't even walk in the door. You know it's a Babylonian church. You're not going to change anything. You know it's a Babylonian church. Don't go in the first place. They have Sunday services. Don't go in the first place. Stay out of Babylon. Amen. Situations vary. Now, look at verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Timothy 5, verse 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor willows who are widows Indeed, true willows. So what we get in verse 1 is, you're not supposed to rebuke the older men. Now, is that written in stone? No. If that older man is in sin, maybe you need to correct him eventually if the Spirit of God leads you to do that. But, you do so in a respectful manner. It says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him 
as if he is a father. So we got to have due respect to the older people, long-suffering, patience, forbearance, endurance, kindness, love, consideration. Now, they're not free of all judgment. They're not free of all rebuke. They're not free of all correction. But we do need to be extra considerate of the elders, of the pastors, and of the older men and older women. They deserve and we are instructed to honor the older people. We are instructed to have extra patience toward those that are older than us and toward those that are in authority over us. Extra patience. A 19-year-old, we love everybody. Try to be patient with everybody. Try to be long-suffering and patient with everybody. But a 19-year-old, you deal differently than you would an 80-year-old man. You deal differently with the teenagers. You deal differently with a man in his 20s. You deal differently with a man in his 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. You deal differently with a pastor than you do a lay member because of honor and respect. But nobody is completely 100% free from judgment and correction. Amen. Have the right balance and respect. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. To Timothy chapter 2, verse 17. And, and their talk was spread like gangrene. Among them are uh, Hemimaeus and Phileas, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Here, Paul is telling Timothy about these men who have false doctrine and false teachings and false uh, proclamations, and naming names, and it's even written for us to this very day. It is publicly written. It may have been a private letter originally, but it became a public record later on. And they didn't blot it out. They didn't erase it out. They didn't scratch it out. These names became public records that they were men of false doctrine, false proclamations, set for example for the church, set for example for all. Do not be like these men. Amen. If you don't want your name stated in public, don't sin. Don't do that which is wrong. Amen. Chapter 3. Verse 1, 
chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents or even all the elderly, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. There are some people you cannot and should not reconcile with. Malicious gossips, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, religious people, although they have denied its power. Does it say, forgive them and fellowship, never put them out, never disfellowship, always hug, always embrace? No. It says, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and capitate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. These are the Hebrew roots people. Amen. And they are also, not only the Hebrew roots people, but these are also people who uh, never receive correction and never confess and repent of the doctrine that they're teaching, they're teaching a false doctrine that all medicine and all doctors and all hospitals is sorcery, is witchcraft, that you shouldn't go to the doctor, you shouldn't take your medicine, you shouldn't get a prescription filled because it's witchcraft. That is a doctrine of the devil. It is demonic, it is satanic, and I rebuke that doctrine in the name of Jesus Christ. They're always learning something, reading what a Greek word is, jumping to conclusion, not researching it out, not accepting the truth once the truth is revealed, proudful, disobedient, not accepting of correction, holding on to that bondage of a lie of the devil, even when you try to correct them in love, trying to help them and correct them and point them to the truth. They still reject it. They are not members of this congregation because they hold on to satanic, dangerous doctrines. And I refuse to forgive them or to remit their sins to heaven, but rather I retain their sins on earth and in heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Always learning something reading something on the internet, or learning something from a woman. I'm just going to say it the way it is. Learning something from a woman who does not know what she is talking about. I'm not preaching against all women. I'm preaching against one woman who has been a witch and a bondage and an attack against my ministry for years. 
and people are still under her bondage and her false doctrines. And I'm just going to have to say her name. Her name is Tammy King. Because Crystal is still under her bondage and still under her fingernail, still under her little finger of believing that doctors and medicine is witchcraft. I must publicly to the church, to the congregation, to all those that listen both now and in the future, warn people about such people who are a thorn in my flesh and a thorn in the side of this ministry and a thorn to your soul. I want these people to repent. I want these people to be delivered, to be saved, to accept the truth. I cannot do it unless I blow the trumpet. I cannot help these people without blowing the trumpet. Spare not. Tell my people their sins. It's got to be said if I do not say it then I provoke them not to repentance and I risk damnation myself. Things have got to be said. I want Tammy to repent and come and be a member of this congregation. I want Crystal to repent and come and be a member of this congregation. I want Anthony, to repent and come to be a member of this congregation. Everybody else, too. There's not a person that I can think of that I don't want them to repent and come and be part of this work, of this ministry, and be working out there in the neighborhoods, in this community, in this town and in this state, nationwide and internationally. We could do a whole lot more if people would come together, if people would swallow their pride, admit their faults, admit their sins, confess of what they've done wrong, and come and be in unity, in true doctrine. I want that. It's my desire. I have been wanting, praying for people's repentance. I've been wanting, praying. I've been wanting to even actually call these people and say, please come back. I want to do that but I can't. I cannot tell people to come back or ask people to come back or beg people to come back unless they repent. I don't want a church full of rebellious, stiff-necked, false doctrine, legalistic people, but rather I want a church of repentant, repentant saints of God. That's what God wants. That's what I want. I can't follow my own will. I can't just forgive everybody and everything and allow a church to be run with foolishness. I cannot allow that. I have to run this thing the way God wants it run. Not my will, but God's will. 
Amen. Have I attacked you? No, I have not attacked anyone this day. I have only spoken the truth, blown the trumpet, and hoping and praying for the people's repentance. I want to see the people in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, in the fullness of true doctrine. And if somebody else is not going to point out your sin and you're not going to confess your sin and you're not going to repent of your sin, then I bring it to the whole church. That's biblical. That's biblical. Look at verse 8. 2 Timothy 3, verse 8. Just as these people, naming names, just as James and James Breeze oppose Moses, the leader, the pastor, so these men also oppose the truth. Tammy has opposed the truth. Crystal has opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. If you don't like what I say, stop listening every week. You listen every week because you know that I serve God. Repent. Amen. Now let's look at Verse 15, verse 15, and that childhood, and that from childhood, you have known the sacred scriptures. Paul is talking to Timothy and says, Timothy, from childhood, you have known the sacred scriptures. What sacred scriptures is he talking about? He's talking about the Greek Cetudian. That was the Bible of the time. That was the Bible of the time that the people used. That was most accessible. The Greek Cetudian. Holy and true. People got to stop blaspheming against the Greek Cetudian. It is a holy translation. It is not perfect. But it is a holy translation that Jesus, the apostles, and even Timothy read from believed and taught from. The Greek Cetudian and the Codex Vaticanus are holy scriptures. Be careful what you say against the Word of God. Sacred scriptures, it says. Sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Wisdom that leads to salvation. Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And all scripture, talking about all the Old Testament, because uh, <clears throat> he ain't talking about New Testament here, even though New Testament is also uh, for us. When we're reading it, it includes the New Testament. But when he's writing to Paul, he's talking about all the Old Testament. He is inspired by God. That's not all translations. He's not saying all translations, every translation on the earth is inspired by God, but he's saying the word of God. He's saying these scriptures, the original scriptures, and the scriptures that existed at that time, the Greek Cetudian, 
is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for, guess what, reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness. Amen. Preaching is not always a feel-good message. It is needful. It is needful in this day and time, especially when the world is is uh, uh, googling over Pope Francis, when the world is googling over uh, uh, Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland and all kinds of false preachers. It is needful to have reproof, to have rebuke, to have correction both privately and publicly. It's not a pleasant thing for you to listen to that. It's not a public, uh, it's not a, uh, uh, a feel-good thing for me or for you. But it's needful. It is needful for reproof to come. It is needful for reproof to be manifested for correction to come, for training to come in righteousness, so that that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Amen. We have to have correction. We have to have it. Amen. If you don't want correction, stop doing wrong. It's that simple. Let's look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, meaning he gave some people to be apostles, appointed and ordained some people to be apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and as teachers. For the equipping of the saints, what did we just get done reading in Timothy? That last verse we read is for the equipping of the man. Amen? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. But building up, sometimes you've got to pull a nail out. When you're building a structure, sometimes you have to remeasure, refit, nail things down, screw things down, unscrew, unnail. All of this is part of the building process. Corrections have to be made. Sometimes you've got to tear a whole part down, especially after the inspector comes. The inspector may say, you've got to take this whole section right here and completely redo it. Sometimes to build up, you have to demolish. Sometimes to remodel, you've got to demolish. It is part of the process. For the building up of the body of Christ until until we obtain the unity. We don't start out with unity. No, we don't. We don't start out with unity. 
But God has brought the elders to bring about a a building, bring about a building, to bring about unity. We don't start in unity, but the goal is unity. And how can you have unity unless there is correction? Tell my people their sins and hold not back. Isaiah 58, verse 1. If you're going to blame me for what I have said today, then you do not believe the scripture of Isaiah 58, verse 1. Hold not back. I got to obey God. Until we obtain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to a mature man, until we reach maturity. I've got to say, some people are so immature. And it is immature when we cannot receive correction. And it is immature when you've got to get corrected over and over and over and over because you're still not growing up or not enough or on certain issues. Childlessness cannot be tolerated. People's got to grow up. Amen. And if a child continues in the same sin repeatedly, then the correction must get stronger. Is that not true? If a child stays in their disobedience, stays in their manner of disrespect toward the elders, the correction must get stronger. And it will continue to get stronger and stronger. Amen. But we've got to reach maturity. You can keep the seventh day, all the holy days. You can be baptized. You can read the Bible every day. You can pray. You can cry. You can cry your tears all you want to. And still not make it into the first resurrection. I'm trying to help people enter the first resurrection. Time is short. I cannot be sugarcoating the gospel. This is not a feel-good country club. Amen. I've got to boldly proclaim the truth. I have to say it the way it is, even if it offends. This is what is needed in this day and this time when everybody wants to sugarcoat everything and is afraid of offending. Tell my people their sins, says God. Tell my people their sins, says God. People's got to get rid of the hardcore rock and roll, the heavy metal, the Elvis Presley, 
the Dolly Parton, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Metallica, ACDC, and all things that sound anything like it. Got to get rid of it. Got to get rid of Michael Jackson, Madonna. Got to get rid of rap. Got to get rid of uh, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Myers, Joel Olstein. Got to get rid of Christmas, Easter. Got to get rid of the Sunday churches and the Sunday preachers. Got to get serious about true doctrine. We need to keep the seventh day and all the holy days. We need to keep these days holy, and we need to be listening to the sermons every week without exception. Unless you've got to wait for a few days, that's fine. But we've got to be obeying God, keeping all Ten Commandments. Got to get rid of the horror movies. Got to get rid of the pornography. Got to get rid of the marijuana. Got to get rid of all the illegal drugs. We need to become a holy people. Saints of God. That's what we need to become. Amen. Got to get rid of all the lying names. Got to draw near to Jesus Christ. Time is short. We got to say it the way it is. If a person will not realize what their sin is, then somebody's got to speak up and blow the trumpet. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to take care of business. Somebody's got to say you're headed for the cliff. Somebody's got to blow the horn and sound the alarm. Amen. Now look here at verse 13. Let's read verse 13 again. Until, until we all obtain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man and to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Underline that all the way. And especially part about mature man and to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You know what that is? That's perfection. Perfecting holiness. Be ye holy as I am holy. Be ye perfect as even as the Father is perfect. That's what the Bible says. We've got to stop making excuses. I'm just human. I'm just human. I'm just human. We've got to stop making excuses. 
we have to come to the full measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's what we need to become. What we need to become. Verse 14, as a result, that we are no longer to be children. We're no longer to be childish. We're no longer to be immature and tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and every trickery of man and every craftiness and deceitful scheming. In other words, we've got to stop falling for the false doctrines. We've got to stop falling for the false teachings. We've got to stop calling for the lie names and for the lies that are being manifested and told against the Holy Greek Saturian and the Holy Codex Vaticanus. We have got to stop falling for these lies and the deceptions, false doctrines. We've got to stop falling for the conspiracy theories. We've got to stop falling for the foolishness and the lies and all these satar websites and all this foolishness that's out there that I have fought so hard against. We've got to stop falling for this stuff. Grow up. Receive more of the Holy Spirit so that you can discern between truth and falsehood. We've got to have more of the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit. Seek more. Ask for more. Beg for more. Cry for more. Shout for more. Praise for more. Read for more. Fast for more. Seek it like gold. Seek it more than gold. Seek it more than your weekly check. Seek wisdom. Seek truth. Seek the Holy Spirit. Seek God. Seek a relationship with Jesus Christ. Seek it with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. We need God. We need his spirit in us, which teaches us all things. We cannot understand the truth and the scriptures and spiritual matters without his spirit. We need to be baptized. Everybody that's speaking to me need to be baptized. Immediately, if you're not baptized yet, Please contact me today and let's get you baptized today. No excuses. We, we cannot be perfect before we're baptized. We've got to be baptized. We've got to seek desire and search out his spirit and follow every step of the word of God, not halfway. We can't put off to tomorrow what we can do today. We can't put off to tomorrow our repentance. We can't put off to tomorrow to the receipt of the Holy Spirit. We cannot put off to tomorrow anything of serving God. Let's serve God today. Today, choose who we serve. Today, serve God. Serve God today. Repent today. Confess today. Get in line with the Holy Spirit today. Get in line with true doctrine today. Repent today. Confess today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait to the second resurrection. Don't wait to the second resurrection. Don't wait for a hundred years. You're hearing the word of God today. You're hearing it today. Accept it today. Amen. 
you're hearing it today, accept it today. It don't take weeks and months to study it out. When you see the truth, you ought to recognize it. When you hear the truth, you ought to recognize it. When you read the truth, you ought to recognize it. Accept it and embrace it. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. Embrace it today. Amen. In verse 15, but speaking the truth. Amen. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Grow up. Grow up in all aspects, into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Everything I have spoken today, I speak in love seeking repentance of the people, seeking unity, seeking reconciliation, seeking unity of the congregation. I have not spoken out of hate. I have spoken out of love. I want people to serve God in the truth and in spirit and in maturity. God is seeking a people who will serve him in spirit and in truth, not in foolishness, not in childishness, not in false doctrine, not in deception, but in truth. And every false doctrine comes from the devil, the father of lies. Every false doctrine comes from the devil. Every false doctrine is a salvational issue. Every false doctrine is a salvational issue. Every false doctrine is an attempt against your soul. Every false doctrine is an attempt against your soul. Amen. Every false doctrine is a doorway to the devil. We've got to come to the fullness of the statue of the measure of Christ, of the fullness of Christ. Amen. God sent Jeremiah to tell the people their sins. Read the book of Jeremiah. God sent Jeremiah to tell the people their sins. God told Ezekiel, sent Ezekiel to go and tell the people their sins. God sent Isaiah, Isaiah, to go and tell the people their sins. God sent Paul and John the Baptist to go and tell the people their sins. Even Jesus told the people their sins. Jesus said to the people straight to their face, you hypocrites, over and over and over and over again.
again, you hypocrites, straight to their face. He told them exactly what their sins were. Jesus did, did condemn. Jesus condemned the people. Jesus judged the people. He spoke harshly against the sinners. And so did John the Baptist, and so did Paul. People need to read the Bible. People need to read the Bible. But just because they spoke harshly, and they did speak harshly, they did so out of love. It didn't mean that they spoke out of hate. They spoke harshly out of love. I speak harshly today out of love, seeking the people's repentance that I may pull you out of the fire. If I see that you're already on fire with false doctrine, you're already in the lake of fire, I better scream. I better yell. I better holler. I better reach out my hand and say, reach back. I want people to reach back. I want people to grab my hand and let me pull you out of the fire. I cannot do that. If I shrink back, if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm too scared or too weak to put my hand out and boldly tell you the truth, the arm of Jesus is stretched out all day long to rebellious, stiff-necked people who refuse to repent and acknowledge their sins. The arm of Jesus is stretched out this day. I hope that you will reach back. I hope that you will reach back and email me, text me, and say, I repent and I accept the arm of the Lord. Amen. Come back. Be part of this congregation. And let's get busy in this town proclaiming the word of God, witnessing and testifying to this community in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm also speaking to the people in other states. I want you to reach back. Confess your sins and your faults. Repent and come back and be part of this ministry. Part of this work. Do the work of the kingdom. Amen. Let's be family. Let's be co-workers. Let's come into unity of the faith. Thank you for listening today. I hope that this has helped you in some way. I hope that many people will grow in Christ because of this sermon today. I hope that the word of God will not return void nor vain, but shall accomplish the purpose which forfeit has been sent. Amen. I praise the name of Jesus. Praise God for this word that I know that he has given me. And you that he has given us this word. Amen.
the next broadcast will be April the 28th. That's going to be the seventh day of Unleavened Bread at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Central, 11 a.m. Pacific, April 28th, seventh day of Unleavened Bread. Uh, and if you're going to come and be with us in person, the services start 30 minutes before the broadcast. The services are at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the seventh day of Unleavened Bread as well as the seventh day of every week. We're headed toward Pentecost. Uh, the uh, only Sunday, 50 days from today, will be Pentecost. I hope that the remaining uh, seven days, remaining of the, the the rest of the seven days of unleavened bread, will be a blessing and a help, edification to you. I encourage you to spend extra time in prayer uh, over these next few days and reading the scriptures and examining these things, uh, examining yourself as well. The days of unleavened bread are meant to be a time that you examine yourself and think upon, reflect upon how that we're fasting from leavening this week means that we need to be thinking about how removing sin from our lives is a process. It's not all done in one day, and it's a process each and every day of our lives that we're continuing to remove sin from our lives. Sometimes it's more difficult than others. Sometimes it's more difficult to throw certain things out than other things. Sometimes we must just swallow our pride uh, and just do what is right. Um, so I hope that these days of unleavened bread will be a real blessing to you and that we'll all grow in repentance, all of us. Okay, uh, I guess that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you, every one of you, for listening. I love you very much. Thank you for your forbearance and for your understanding. And all of this in Jesus' name, amen.
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.